Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, though I suppose in some ways our text is but a few words in occurring in verse 20. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures teach and we believe that Jesus Christ was, as it respects his flesh and blood, was conceived in the womb of the Virgin by the working of the Holy Spirit and was then born of the Virgin even as promised throughout the Scriptures. Latent in this scriptural teaching and Christian confession is the reality that the one who is conceived and born is in fact the Son of God. Yes, conceived with respect to his true humanity, born with respect to his true humanity. And yet this is not a different person than the one eternal Son of God. As difficult as it is to understand, as hard as it is for us to even begin to consider such a truth, it is, in fact, true that the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten Son of God. The Scriptures teach and we believe as is summarized by the Catechism. Question and answer 34 of an Orthodox Catechism. What do you believe when you say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? That the Son of God, who is and continues true and everlasting God, took the very nature of man, of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, through the working of the Holy Spirit, that he might be the true seed of David, like unto his brethren in all things, sin accepted. We believe that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The plain teaching of Scripture, but a difficult and mysterious truth for us to comprehend or understand precisely because here we have the, we might call it the ultimate miracle of Holy Scripture. 
the incarnation, the true incarnation, the real incarnation of the Son of God. Now, in order for us to have some conception and understanding of this vital doctrine, this vital truth, this glorious miracle and reality, we need to notice several things this morning concerning the holy conception and virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, we want to notice, and it's plain from the text that we have read, the text that we'll look at, Matthew chapter 1, that the incarnation of the Son of God, this conception by the Holy Ghost, and this birth of the Virgin Mary is the fulfillment of promise. God said repeatedly throughout the Old Testament that the Savior of His people, the Deliverer of His people, the promised Redeemer, would in fact be born of a woman and be the seed of the woman. We can see this both generally and particularly. Generally, the very first promise of the gospel tells us that the one who would strike that death blow to the evil one, the one who would crush the head of the serpent, the one by whom God would put enmity between his people and the seed of the serpent, this one would in fact be the seed of the woman. One who would descend from Adam, descend from Eve, That is, one who would in fact be true and complete man, like Adam in every way, sin accepted. He would be the deliverer, redeemer, and savior of God's people. He would be the one who would bring back sinful man from his enmity with God and bring reconciliation and unite men once again to God. We're told by the Apostle Paul, in fact, in these same general terms that this promise of the seed of the woman is indeed fulfilled in Jesus Christ. For he was... He tells us in Galatians chapter 4, he was born of a woman. In the most general terms, he was born of a woman. He was the seed of the woman. And as such, being born of a woman, the seed of the woman is true man. Like you, like me, like Adam body and soul. 
in fulfillment of God's promise. But we can see this even more particularly that this conception by the Holy Spirit, this birth of the Virgin, that even these matters are fulfillment of promise. Not just the seed of the woman generally. Not just born of a woman generally. But even and in fact the seed of David. The seed of Abraham. The fulfillment of God's promises in a miraculous conception and miraculous birth. The very hymn that we sang is based upon Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, the promise of this Savior and Redeemer descending from the line of Jesse. Jesse, from whom comes David. The line to which the Lord Jesus himself belongs. Even as we read in the genealogy that precedes our text. A genealogy that indicates the significance of our text in the birth of the Lord Jesus. A genealogy that begins the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This one conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the virgin is the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's the fulfillment of those promises. But again, even the birth itself, even the conception itself is a matter of promise and fulfillment. For the very one that Isaiah spoke of as the branch that would come forth from the root of Jesse, the one who would descend from David, the seed of David, is in fact, according to Isaiah 7 and verse 14, and Isaiah 9 and verse 6, the one who would be born of the virgin. Even the angel, as he speaks to Joseph concerning the significance of the name Jesus, says that everything that he has told Joseph, even what he has said concerning the conception and the birth of this Jesus, That all of this has come to pass, verse 22, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. This conception by the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. This birth of the Virgin from the womb of the Virgin. 
all that it is and all that it entails is the fulfillment of God's own word. The Lord, notice, verse 22. This is the word that the Lord spoke through the prophet. And the Lord himself brings this to pass. He brings the fulfillment of his word. And the fulfillment of his word is the word himself becoming flesh by way of this conception, this birth, by way of a holy conception and a virgin birth. The promises spoken through Isaiah, and particularly the one that is cited here, Isaiah 7 and verse 14. This prophecy is pregnant, pun intended, with all manner of significance. Behold, the Lord said, the virgin shall be with child. How? How should a virgin be with child? The prophet himself does not answer, or the Lord himself does not answer there in that context. But the answer is given here by the messenger of the Lord speaking to Joseph when he says that the child which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Latent in the promise of old and made clear in the fulfillment of that promise is that the child born of the virgin, the son born of the virgin, who is himself God with us, is, as it concerns his flesh and blood, is conceived by the Holy Spirit. The parallel text in Luke chapter 2 tells us that this conception takes place by way of the Holy Spirit overshadowing the womb of the virgin. We'll come to see something of the significance of that in just a moment. But what's clear is that the very Lord who spoke the promise and the very Lord who is the very Lord who fulfills the promise. And he fulfills the promise by himself. That is, by his own being conceived. His own being born. The virgin birth, the conception of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. These are the fulfillment of the promises of Scripture. Promise that a seed would come forth from the woman and crush the head of the serpent. That seed, the 
son of Adam, that seed, the son of Abraham, that seed, the son of David, is Jesus Christ Himself. And so, we must understand that the conception by the Holy Spirit, this birth by the Virgin Mary, these things are a matter. These things indeed are the fulfillment of promise. The Lord's own fulfillment of the Lord's own promises. But we also need to recognize, secondly, that as we speak of the conception and birth of the Lord Jesus, we've already indicated this to some extent, but it needs to be said, is that these things, comprising as they do the manner of our Lord's incarnation, these things are the effect of divine power. The incarnation is brought about by the Lord. It seems simple enough to say, but it's important. It's important to acknowledge something of the significance of what it meant for the angel to say to Joseph, himself a son of David, himself a descendant of David, to say that the child in his betrothed's womb is of the Holy Spirit. Again, we've mentioned the parallel text in Luke chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. There's nothing ordinary taking place here. Ordinarily, we know how a child is conceived. We see it in Scripture as well. We see a child descend from Adam and Eve, for example. Children, by way of ordinary procreation. But there's nothing ordinary about this conception. It is the definition of a miracle. It is the definition of a miracle that takes place by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, operating in some mysterious way upon the womb of the Virgin. In some respects, in a very limited respect, we can say that the conception and birth of the Lord Jesus is normal. In that, the womb of a woman is not suspended, not ignored, not bypassed in some way. And in that respect then, The Lord Jesus is truly, according to his human nature, the son of David, the son of Abraham, as Luke mentions in his genealogy, a son of Adam, a true human being. And yet this true human, this one who is true man, 
is created immediately by the operation of the Holy Spirit. In this very same way that the Spirit hovered over the formless creation, the formless heaven and earth. And God said, let there be, let there be light in the days of creation. In the same way, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, overshadowed, hovered, operated upon the womb, the empty womb of this pure woman, pure with respect to her betrothed husband, hovered, overshadowed, and formed in her the flesh and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Such that we can say that the flesh and the blood that the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Son of God took to Himself and united to Himself, is the effect, is the product, is the immediate creation of the Holy Spirit. And what's important to recognize in this respect is that even the second person of the Trinity, not just the Holy Spirit overshadowing the womb of the Virgin, But the second person of the Trinity, the Son, who takes this flesh and blood, who unites to himself this flesh and blood, attests to the fact that this conception and birth is the effect of divine power. He takes the body prepared for him by the Holy Spirit. He takes... And unites to himself this true human nature. And in that respect, not only is the Holy Spirit operative, but so is the Son operative. They are working the same work. even as the Father Himself works the Incarnation. The Son works the Incarnation. The Spirit works the Incarnation. This is the work of the Triune God, attributed here in a particular and personal way to the Holy Spirit. 
as the one who immediately affects the conception of the Lord Jesus in the womb of the Virgin. And from this we learn something of how we are to speak about these matters. It's important to recognize that when the scriptures tell us that the word became flesh, that this one person, Jesus, was conceived, this one person, Jesus, was born of the virgin, that we're not talking about about two different persons. We're not talking about a divine person who becomes or adds to himself a human person. We're talking about the very mystery of the incarnation in which the one person of the Son, the eternal person of the Son, the one who is of the same essence and the same power and same eternity as the Father and the Spirit, this one, who doesn't cease to be God when he is conceived and born, in that conception and in that birth, takes to himself, unites to himself, as the Catechism puts it, the very nature of man. The very nature of man. What else could he have received from Mary but a true human nature? She is, after all, one who herself possesses a true human nature. But the one conceived and born is in fact the Son of God. What we're getting at here is that when the Bible speaks of this conception and birth as the manner of our Lord's incarnation, it is speaking mysteriously of the conception and birth of the Son of God, not, again, with respect to His deity. There's no human conception, no human birth of one who is divine. But the one who is divine is mysteriously, as He takes to Himself or in the way that he takes to himself a true human nature, is conceived and is born. As the definition of Chalcedon labored to make clear, there is one Lord Jesus Christ. The self-same is true God, 
The self-same is true man. The self-same one person is God of God, light of light. He is of the same substance as the Father. The same one is of the same substance as is all men. Chalcedon even going so far as to say that Mary is the God-bearer. Now, many have balked at that notion. In fact, Nestorius was the first to balk at that notion as he tried to speak of the Lord Jesus as, or ended up speaking of Jesus as two persons. He preferred the term Christ-bearer. But many, wanting to uphold orthodoxy, argued that Christ-bearer was insufficient. Mary must be understood as the God-bearer, Theotokos. Precisely because the one who was conceived in her womb by the powerful operation of the Holy Spirit and the one to whom she gave birth as true man is the one eternal Son of God. This one, this very one, of whom the angel speaks to Joseph. This one who is the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament, the very promises of God, is himself God. And he, not as God, but as a man, is born, is conceived and born. In other words, what was at stake in the debate about whether or not Mary was the God-bearer was not something about Mary, but it was something about this one Jesus that is coming into the world is not some kind of mirage, a fake. But this is a very real, true Indeed, the only instance in all of human history of a real incarnation. The true incarnation of the Son of God. And why is that important? Well, we'll come to see it more fully. But it's important because this one who is and ever remains God took to himself, united to himself, our nature in order to bring us very men back to God. This one, the eternal one, this one of the same essence and power and eternity, this one true God unites to himself A human nature through this 
holy conception and virgin birth, and is therefore not ashamed to call us brethren. And because he is not ashamed to call us brethren, he brings us back as brethren. True God, true man, the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, as a true man, in order to reconcile men to God. The conception and birth of the Lord Jesus is the fulfillment of promise. The conception and birth of the Lord Jesus, as it is the manner of the incarnation, is the effect of divine power. Thirdly, and we'll probably have to end here and pick things up next week. But thirdly, this incarnation, this manner of incarnation, that is a holy conception and virgin birth, ensures the purity of the one who is conceived and born. And why is this important? Well, because only one who is sinless can really and truly intercede for sinful men. Only one who is innocent, pure, undefiled, can be the priest who offers himself as a sinless sacrifice and intercedes to reconcile sinful men to God. The conception by the Holy Spirit of the flesh and blood of the Lord Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary ensures the sanctification of the very one who is conceived. It ensures that as the product of the Holy Spirit, as the effect of Him who is named holy, because He is holy, what He produces is holy. 
just as the original creation was named good by God because the Spirit hovered over it all, overshadowed it all, brought it about. So we can say, in a certain respect, so it is for the conception of this one by or of the Holy Spirit. Think of our spiritual birth being born again by the working of the Holy Spirit. Think of our own growth in grace as it is affected by the Holy Spirit. As one who is named holy, all that he produces is holy. It cannot but be holy. And so to say that this one who is conceived truly and really, again, a true human nature, truly the seed of David, Truly the seed of Abraham. Truly the son of Adam. He is holy. It's not just the sanctification of the womb that is in view here. But it is the sanctification of the one in the womb. His conception is holy. And as conceived, he is holy. This is one of the perennial questions of theology. How is it that Original sin and the guilt of original sin is, as it is passed along to every human being, as the corruption of our natures is passed along from one generation to the next, from one to the next by way of our descent from Adam how is the Lord Jesus not as it were infected how is he not corrupted by original sin well the answer is in part what we've said already that his conception is not mediate as our conceptions are. That is, we are, yes, creations of the Lord, but brought about by way of procreation. Not so the Lord Jesus. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the immediate operation of the Holy Spirit, 
that the Lord Jesus is conceived and born. And born or conceived in a womb that is of one who herself is sexually pure. Now we don't want to derive from that the notion that all sex is marked by impurity or is in and and of itself impure. The marriage bed is sanctified by God. But the Lord Jesus, His flesh and blood, His true human body, His true human soul, is conceived in the womb of the Virgin by the Holy Spirit who cannot but produce holy things. And this is so important, it's so vital. Because this one, we're told, is one who is named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The sanctification of the human nature of the Lord Jesus in the womb of the Virgin by the working of the Holy Spirit is necessary for His work of salvation. Necessary for His work of making satisfaction for our sin. Man sinned, and so by a man, satisfaction must be made for sin. But sinful man cannot make satisfaction for sin. It must be one who is untainted by sin. Pure, holy. The author to the Hebrews speaks of one who is holy, harmless, and undefiled. That he is our great high priest. That he is the one and the one alone who can save to the uttermost. And that one is Jesus. And he is qualified to save. Qualified to save because he is not only true God, but as true man is holy. Conceived and born in purity. The conception of the Lord Jesus, the conception and birth of the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit in the the womb of the Virgin ensures the purity of the mediator which is necessary for His work of mediation. You and I are sinners. We cannot bring ourselves back to God. We cannot make reconciliation for ourselves with God. We cannot unite ourselves to God who is holy, for we are unholy and unrighteous. But there is one. There is one, the Son of God who by way of a holy conception and virgin birth took to himself a true human nature, sin accepted. And as that one, he 
lived, died, rose again, ascended on high, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and there intercedes for us even to this day. He has done what is necessary to bring you, dear sinner, back to God. To bring you unholy and unrighteous before God, righteous and holy. And so our confession, our confession of the conception of the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit and His birth of the Virgin is not merely a matter of biblical fidelity. It is that, and that's important. But it is a truth upon which rests our Salvation. For you see, as question 35 indicates, there is profit for us from Christ's holy conception and birth. And it is that He is our mediator, one who, as God and as man, represents God to men and reconciles men to God, that He is our mediator and does cover with His innocence and perfect holiness my sins, in which I was conceived, that they may not come in the sight of God. At present, as we find ourselves living before the face of God, we can say that though we were conceived In our sins. That is original sin was passed on to us. And we are guilty before God. Nevertheless because of Christ the mediator. Who was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And born of the Virgin Mary. That we are covered with his innocence. And covered with his perfect holiness. And we may also then say, and this is why it's important for us to continue to confess or to confess that the Son of God continues yet to be incarnate. We may also say that when we come to appear before the judgment seat of God, we will have one representing us on that day who is like us in every way, but sin accepted. Like us in every way, sin accepted, precisely because He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born. Of the Virgin Mary. A mystery. A miracle. 
but one which we confess and seek to understand. One which we believe on the basis of the scriptures and seek to understand according to the scriptures. Because the one who is conceived and the one who is born is the one who alone saves us from our sins.